I honor each and every one of you for coming out to the library on a Saturday afternoon to have a discussion about this important topic. Um, so I want to start out with a question. Who used personal care products today? Shampoo, deodorant, lotion, face cream, shaving cream, deodorant, um, contact solution. I always keep naming to see if I can get the guys to raise their hand. Well, okay, most of us, most of us use these products every day. And if you think about how many products have you used in a week or in a month, the numbers can be really pretty staggering. So the stories that I tell in the book and the stories that I'll talk about today are really stories about all of us. And to tell you a little bit about my personal story, as I confess in the book, I was a Seventeen magazine reading makeup diva desperate to fit in, and the Osco drug cosmetics aisle was my comfort zone. With each careful purchase, I was one step closer to that girl I dreamed of, the confident, lovable version of me. So I loved my products. I used lots of them. I trusted them. And I was using about 20 products a day, all kinds of makeup, uh, skin creams, hair products, all topped off with an enormous cloud of Aquanet Extra Super Hold hairspray in the big pink metal can. Um, so now I'm dating myself. This was back in the days of big hair and shoulder pads and bright makeup. And so for the book, I actually went back and I looked up all these products that I had been using as a teen. And it was about 20 products a day. And I was really surprised to discover that I had been exposing myself to 200 chemicals a day just from the beauty products before I even got on the school bus. So what's in this stuff that we all put on our bodies, put in our hair on a daily basis? Well, that's a question that my colleagues at the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics and I have been working on uh, and looking at for about the past five years. So these are some of the groups that are involved in the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics. We're a national coalition. We've looked at products, and what we've discovered is that most popular brands of all kinds of products, deodorants, lotions, makeup, even baby shampoos, routinely contain carcinogens, hormone-disrupting chemicals, chemicals that are toxic to the skin, to the immune system, to the liver. Um, and most of these chemicals um, come from oil byproducts, petroleum, um, and many of them tend to be toxic. Our bodies are not used to absorbing them in. Um, so, you know, this is true of the high-end brands like Clinique all the way down to the low-end brands like your CoverGirl. Now, so far, we're not in any disagreement with the companies. The companies will agree, yes, some of these chemicals are toxic. We know they're toxic uh, in animal studies show that they lead to certain health effects. But it's okay because it's just a little bit of toxic chemical in any given product, and you can't prove it causes harm. Um, so... Of course, though, as we pointed out earlier, none of us use just one product a day. And here's a rundown of my teen beauty routine, um, some of the things that I was exposed to. And you can see the numbers add up, 40 hormone-disrupting chemicals. That includes parabens, phthalates, and other chemicals, 17 carcinogens, 17 penetration enhancer chemicals. Those are chemicals that draw others more deeply into the body. 15 persistent bioaccumulative toxins, less than 50% of uh, the chemicals in my beauty routine have ever been assessed for safety by any publicly accountable institution. So 
Now, there are no government requirements for companies to study or understand the health effects of these chemicals. And while we have a lot of information about some of them, most of them have never been tested at all, and nobody is studying the effects of the combined mixtures of these uh, toxic chemicals applied to the body of a developing teenager, say, day after day after day, year after year. So there's a lot that we don't know. But what we do know is that there's a tremendous amount of scientific evidence showing that even low doses of chemical exposures can interfere with hormones, uh, change the way our genes operate, and set our bodies up for diseases that show up later down the line. We know that chemicals are most dangerous during important times of development in the womb, early childhood, uh, teenagers that are developing. We also know that disease, chronic diseases linked to chemicals are on the rise. Breast cancers, infertility. Who here knows a young person or a family member who has breast cancer, who's experienced infertility? Uh, childhood cancer, testicular cancer of, among men in their 20s. These diseases have become increasingly common in the past few decades uh, that synthetic chemicals have been on the market, and there's a lot of evidence showing that environmental pollutants are part of the reason. So we see that there's a lot of uh, cause for concern, and the trends um, cause us to look at some of these chemicals that we're using and say, you know, what's going on here? We also know from the science that chemicals are ending up where they're not supposed to be, and that's inside of our bodies. So scientists can now measure the chemicals that are getting into us from a test called biomonitoring. And I'm going to read a couple of personal stories from my book of people who've had or experienced this test. And this is from the first chapter of my book called Indecent Exposure, The Intimate Details. Charlotte Brody was surprised by how she felt about her test results. The environmentalist and mother of two was among the first people in the general population to be tested for a wide range of industrial chemicals. The tests revealed that Charlotte's body contained dioxin, PCBs, mercury, lead, cosmetic chemicals, lawn chemicals, 87 toxins in all, manufactured by companies such as Dow, Shell, Union Carbide, and Monsanto. I felt violated, Charlotte reported. She was especially upset about the pesticides. I never used them in my house. They'd never been on my lawn. I bought organic whenever I could. Nevertheless, her body contained several variations of organophosphates and organochlorines that were designed to attack the nervous systems of insects. How could Dow put Dursban into me when I never said they could, when I never used their product, never bought it, never in my knowledge was in the presence of their product, Charlotte wanted to know? Isn't that trespassing? And I tell the story in my book of Mary Brune, who's um, right back there with her table, Moms Making Our Milk Safe, uh, and I encourage everyone to check it out. So Mary never uh, felt exactly called to be an environmentalist until one day uh, she, was, she was home from work nursing her six-month-old daughter, Olivia, and a TV story came on the news about a study that had been done by Texas Tech University where they looked at breast milk samples from 19 states and reported that all the samples were contaminated with perchlorate, a component of rocket fuel. I'm sitting there on my couch nursing my daughter, and I was stunned. I thought breast milk was as pure as it came as a food source for children. To find out there's all sorts of stuff in there, I was up all night thinking about it. And I tell the story about Michelle Hammond from Berkeley, California, whose family was the first family to be biomonitored as part of a series of stories in the Oakland Tribune. 
The results stunned even scientists, reported Douglas Fisher in the award-winning series. The tests found many of the same chemicals that they found in Charlotte. Um, Five-year-old Michaela had more dibutyl phthalate, which was a chemical commonly used in nail polish, in her body than most of the kids tested in the U.S., and she had recently spent a lot of time in um, nail salons. But the biggest surprise was what they found in two-year-old Rowan. Higher levels of flame-retardant chemicals that had been found in nearly anyone else in the world, six times higher than what they found in his parents, twice the levels at which researchers start to see impaired fertility in lab animals. This is a very serious warning of very small children being heavily exposed, uh, said a scientist named Aki Bergman, one of the leading researchers on flame retardants. And that's pretty consistent with what they find in the science, that young children are often most highly exposed because they're crawling around on the floor, they put their hands in their mouths, and also their bodies don't detoxify and eliminate chemicals as readily. And they're also, of course, more vulnerable to toxic effects. And one of the studies that I always like to mention that, to me, I think very powerfully crystallizes um, what, uh, we're, what we're learning. And that is a study that was done in 2006 by the Environmental Working Group where they analyzed the umbilical cord blood of newborn infants. They looked at 10 babies chosen at random in U.S. hospitals and found an average of 200 chemicals known to be toxic in every single baby, man-made synthetic chemicals. And I think when we see this picture that babies are being born into the world pre-polluted with industrial chemicals, it's time to say, how can we do things differently? How can we do things differently? And that's the question that essentially we took to the world's largest beauty companies starting in 2003, Letters, phone calls, phone calls, phone calls. Who thinks the companies were uh, wanting to have this conversation? Um, unfortunately, they weren't. We encountered a lot of resistance, denial, avoidance, evasion, um, lots of excuses. Um, first, they ignored us completely. Uh, but increasingly, they're having to have this conversation because people are learning more and more about these issues, becoming more concerned, um, and the companies are having to face up to it. Um, and I think, you know, when we see this information, too, and we realize that all of us are contaminated, we understand that the choices we make as an industrial society intimately affect our biology. It's all connected. The same poisons running through the rivers are running through our veins. And so all of us have a, a role to play in saying, how can we change and fix that, especially the billion-dollar corporations that are selling dreams of health and beauty around the world. So I think they have a particular responsibility to say, how can we be in the front of the line offering to reduce our contribution to the toxic load rather than in the back of the line? Does anybody think that baby shampoo needs to contain carcinogens? Why should that be the case? Um, and it's not the case because many companies are making these products without the chemicals. But when we uh, looked at testing of baby products, uh, most of the brands on the market, and this was popular, baby shampoos and bubble baths contained a chemical called 1,4-dioxane, which is a known animal carcinogen, probable human carcinogen. And it was in Sesame Street character brand bubble baths and even the iconic Johnson & Johnson's baby shampoo. This is a, an example of some of the lead products that we, uh, some of the lipstick products that we tested. And some of you may have seen the story that we um, 
had a bill at the California legislature two weeks ago. It got killed. The industry had a huge lobby effort. They came and said, we can't get lead out of lipstick. Lead's everywhere in the environment. It's in lipstick. But it's not in 39% of the products that we tested, including this $1.99 um, wet and wild lipstick on the bottom of the screen there. But it was found in this uh, L'Oreal $850 tube of lipstick and a $24 tube of Dior Addict, which is beautifully packaged. It looks like a little lipstick on a throne. Um, 24 bucks, and you know, the product part of that cost the company about 15 cents to make. So do we think they can't get lead out of that? I don't think so. And you know, what we see very consistently is that um, even the high-end brands, they basically have the same set of chemical recipes as the low-end brands. So you're really paying for packaging and marketing. You're paying for the mystique. You know, everybody always likes to ask about Clinique at the end of my talks. Are they different? Well, they're very clever in their marketing because if you go into a Macy's, you'll see the white lab coats and everything's very scientifically presented. Um, but it's the same set of chemicals with a, you know, packaged with a different marketing program. Um, a couple of the most toxic product categories that I wanted to talk about. Disturbingly, some of the products for women of color are among the more toxic products, hair relaxers and also skin lightening creams. Skin lightening creams are huge in Asian countries. There are many, many ads. Women are bombarded with ads about uh, light skins looking models and also every product claims to have a whitening benefit. You know, commercial after commercial after commercial. I have some interviews in my book from women from the Philippines who talk about this. And here's an example of one of the ads that you'll see in China. This is an ad from Procter & Gamble's high-end, very high-end line, SK2. $100 skin lightening creams and face creams. Hugely popular. And this product was the cause of near riots in China uh, in 2006 after the government reported that it contained banned heavy metals that were toxic. And women rioted in the streets. They had hundreds of women yelling, demanding refunds lined up down the block. Um, and here's an example of them actually busting down the glass door at Procter & Gamble headquarters in Shanghai. And they had to close. <laughs> yes, women do not want toxic banned heavy metals in their $100 skin cream. You know, these companies can definitely do better. Unfortunately, you know, the government and Procter & Gamble was a little bit freaked out about this and they had secret meetings with the government and then it was announced, well, it's just a little bit of toxic banned heavy metals in the skin cream and we can't get it out and so don't worry. And they eventually put the products back on the shelf uh, and they went back on the market. And China is actually the number one growth market for Procter & Gamble. Um, I have some quotes from the Chinese uh, president of Procter & Gamble in my book where she says, China is now number two market for Procter & Gamble, and we're going for number one, and we're going to do it by marketing our products to millions of villages across China. So I just think that that's, a, that's the mentality of the companies. It's all about growth and, and convincing us that we need more products. These are also in the most toxic categories, um, and we see that they're being increasingly marketed to younger and younger girls. So this is an example of a probably a five or seven year old on the cover of a popular skin uh, hair relaxer product. And, and these are some ratings from Skin Deep with the number 10 circles here. That's the most toxic uh, hair relaxers in the database. And the, and the number one is a kid's product. 
Um, and then for hair dye, younger and younger girls are getting their hair dye. There was an article in the New York Times recently that said that girls now aged 10 and 11 are getting their hair dyed regularly on, uh, for their first time into the salon. And it used to be more like 15 or 16. So they interviewed the industry, and the industry was very excited about this. And they said, you know, this represents a real growth market for the industry. Um, but of course, it also represents something else. It represents early age and continued chemical exposures to many of these toxins for young girls. And it also represents more exposures to salon workers and more exposures to the environment as hair dyes are getting into the waterway, into the food, and into all of our bodies, even if we don't get our hair colored. And of course, all of us are made to feel like our hair should be lighter, our hair should be straighter, our skin should be lighter, our skin should be darker with spray-on tans, our skin should be smoother, our lips should be plumper, plumper, 6% plumper. And these companies just have so much power over our minds, over the public space, over our sense of self, even over our bodies as they continue to expose us to toxic chemicals, even though safer alternatives are available. But the real story is that we have the power. We have the power to decide which products we put on our body and which companies we support with our money. And that is actually a real power that can feel very, very good when you start to take advantage of it. And I know a lot of this information can be overwhelming. I've been, confused, I've been uh, accused of being overwhelming and scary. And it is scary, but it's real. And I think it's something that everybody needs to know about. Um, and I tell people who buy the book, keep reading, because I do get to the good news around Chapter 10. You have to read for a while. But there's a lot of good news, too, to share. Um, and I've heard so many amazing stories along the way. Um, we've been to 30 cities in 13 states. We've had 3,000 people come out to these talks. And there is just an amazing energy and so many just wonderful stories about people who are engaging in this work in so many different ways. People who have been to Skin Deep and decided to start their, start their own company or change their major in college or people that are just making radical decisions about their own personal lifestyles. And I like to tell the story of my cousin Janet, who I think was the most radical transformation of all of, of, of some of the stories I've heard. And Janet is about 45. She was a vice president at Wells Fargo. She was like queen makeup diva. I was baby diva, and she was the queen of all things having to do with expensive products. And she actually admitted to me that she was spending $800 a month on beauty products. I mean, how is that even possible is what I said. And while it was hair dye and it was facials all the time and it was the most expensive products ever, and she really believed in these products. So she read the book and she started to feel overwhelmed and she started to get really mad. Uh, she discovered this super expensive skin evening cream had hydroquinone in it, which is a highly toxic ingredient that's used in skin lightening creams banned in other countries. It makes your skin tingle, so I think companies use it because you think, oh, something's happening. So then she was really, really mad, and she started to go back to the makeup counters and have very polite conversations with her favorite makeup ladies and say, hey, you know, I think you guys can do better, and until you do, I'm going to take this product back and buy something else. Um, and she finally got around to the point where she decided to stop coloring her hair, and it was a big decision, and 
she was really nervous about it. But she stopped after many, many years, and she actually really loved the way she looks. And she feels better than she has, she says, in a long time. And she said, you know, when I heard about this stuff, I was mad about the chemicals. But I, when I really started to think about it, I realized that I was just exhausted. I was exhausted with trying to keep up with looking, trying to look 10 years younger than I am. And it wasn't working anyway. So... She, feel, she felt liberated. So I think that emotional journey, the overwhelmed, angry, but then eventually this liberation, uh, this sense of freedom and, and personal empowerment is a story that I've heard from so many people. And that's the place that I want us to get to. So I'm going to just close with a couple of um, stories about some of the really wonderful, amazing things that I've seen um, along the way that I think are the signs that we are really making huge changes and we're doing it together. And every single person in this room who took time out of their Saturday to come to the library is part of that movement. And together we can do anything and we are changing the beauty industry. And on the theme of power, the power of information, this is Skin Deep, such an amazing resource that the Environmental Working Group has put together. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, you should check it out. It has almost 30,000 products in it, uh, matched up with 50 government databases, so you can look up uh, your products and see how they score 0 to 10 on the toxicity scale. It's getting 5 million searches a month. That's an example of, if you look up shampoos, this is the most toxic shampoos in the database. And ironically, who's at the top of the list? My favorite company, L'Oreal Kids Shampoo, is the most toxic shampoo in the Skin Deep database, uh, more so than anybody. And they're, of course, the largest beauty company in the world. But the good news, there are many, many companies and many more that are on this list uh, that are making safer shampoos. And this is just the first screen that comes up in Skin Deep if you look up the least toxic products in the database. Um, and more companies all the time coming out with great, new products, and now more makeup lines and all sorts of things that you didn't used to be able to get in the natural space is available. And the good news is um, innovation and science is really moving forward. This is a picture of Paul Anastas over here on your left, who is considered the father of green chemistry. And I did a um, talk with Paul a few weeks ago, and I pointed out that he is way too young to be the father of green chemistry. <laughs> He's, he's in his mid-40s, and he um, is now teaching at Yale. He actually just got married to the woman who does the green design program at Yale. Um, both programs are about a year old. And so the universities are finally starting to get this, that we can figure out how to make chemicals that aren't toxic, don't build up in our bodies, and don't pollute the environment. And that's the future. Um, Amy Cannon on the top right is the world's first Ph.D. green chemist. And she's a woman, and I love that. And actually, uh, last year, more women graduated from chemistry programs in the U.S. than men. So the science is changing, and we have the technologies to figure this stuff out. But we need to get the billion-dollar beauty company supporting this research. And, of course, the power of activism. And this is an ad that we did. Um, we did a campaign against OPI nail products. Has anyone heard of OPI, that nail salon brand? Well, they have... But if you've been in a nail salon, you've seen it. They're the largest um, seller of nail products worldwide, 70 countries. And they were using some quite toxic chemicals, dibutyl phthalate, formaldehyde, toluene. And we went to them and we said, hey, you're ha you have to take dibutyl phthalate out of your products in Europe 
why don't you take it out of your U.S. products? Well, they weren't too keen on that. They said, you know, no, we think those Europeans are crazy. Product's not as good. We're keeping it in. Well, OPI has fun nail polish names, like I'm not really a waitress red and sort of fun names. So we decided to do a little spoof on their fun names, and we did our own ad where we came up with our own names, like I can't believe it's a carcinogen. And then we went to uh, Santa Monica and dressed up like beauty queens with little sashes that said mistreatment. Um, and handed out information. Did you know that OPI is using chemicals banned in Europe in your nail polish? Uh, and, and got some press coverage, and reporters started to call the company. Thousands of women nail salon workers, salon owners, wrote to the company. And this all happened in May, and by August, the company announced that they were taking out dibutyl phthalate and formaldehyde and toluene, and now they're advertising that all of their products are free of those chemicals. So that was a huge victory. That was a huge victory, and it shows that we can change the industry. The companies are responsive. They are listening. And when they decide to change, they can change on a dime relatively quickly. And we still have products, and they still work wonderfully, and the prices didn't go up. So while there's an initial resistance, you know, we do see that it's possible to change this industry, and it's happening, and it's happening very quickly. So... I wanted to commend everybody who's worked on that, uh, everybody who's chosen to buy um, a product, who's chosen to even think about or research what they're using. And I'm going to do one last reading from the book, um, talking about this theme of power and what it's possible for us to do together. Um, and this is a reading from the last chapter in my book, which is called Extreme Makeover, as in we need to give the beauty industry the U.S. government, and the economy a makeover. And this is a story about two of my favorite sheroes on the planet. The women went to the Dow Chemical Company shareholder meeting carrying 5,000 brooms and chemical-contaminated soil from their hometown. In India, the broom is a woman's symbol of power. Being struck by a jadu broom is the ultimate insult, explained Champi Devi Shukla. By delivering jadus to Dow, we're telling the company to clean up its mess in Bhopal. Two decades after a chemical plant meltdown sent 27 tons of toxic gas into their sleeping city, the women of Bhopal, India, are leading the fight to bring justice to their people and to remind the world about the worst face of the chemical revolution. Mothers everywhere in the world carry chemical poisons in their breasts, said Rashida B., as she accepted the 2004 Goldman Environmental Prize with Shukla for their efforts in Bhopal. We are not expendable. We are not flowers offered at the altar of profit and power. We are dancing flames committed to conquering darkness and to challenging those who threaten the planet and the magic and mystery of life. Women have long been flames at the forefront of the fight for environmental health and justice, from Rachel Carson, who exposed the dangers of pesticides in her brave book, Silent Spring, to Lois Gibbs and the families of Love Canal, who put human faces on the someplace else of chemical waste dumps, to the women of Bhopal, India, and millions of others around the world who are fighting to clean up dangerously contaminated communities. Women have long borne the brunt of pollution and poverty, yet today more women have more power than ever before, 
especially in some areas of the world. We have more economic power and more political power. And as the primary shoppers in the largest block of voters in the United States, women can shift the balance of power and change the face of the future. We are the ones we've been waiting for, as the poet June Jordan said, and as Alice Walker calls her recent book. It is the best of times, Walker wrote, because we have entered a period, if we can bring ourselves to pay attention, of great clarity as to cause and effect. We know now that the environment is us. It is our wombs, our breast milk, and our families. Protecting the environment is about enabling future generations of our children to thrive in their bodies unpolluted. And there is so much cleaning up to do. The, toxic, the problem right in front of our faces, the toxic products on the bathroom sink, is a great place to start. First, the beauty industry, and then on to the next cleanup project, the plastic industry, the petrochemical industry, the oil and war industries, too, until there are no more toxic chemicals in babies, <laughs> no more rocket fuel in breast milk, or communities burdened by toxic pollution, until we create new economic systems that are compatible with life and healthy for people and the planet. So that's the work before us, and that's what we're all here to do. And thank you so much for joining the effort to give the beauty industry a makeover. Thank you.